Kuluk, wow, wow, wow. Hey, babies. Sunday morning in the uh, nation's capital. It's time for some Sunday morning jazz. Currently in the in the uh, city, it's uh, a chilly eight degrees Celsius, which is a stark contrast to the um, thirty-two degrees I woke up to just three days ago. <laughs> uh, Ottawa weather in the springtime. If you don't like it, wait a few minutes. It will change. Things should be back to normal by, um, I guess, Thursday of this week. Well, Wednesday it'll be about 23 degrees. It's supposed to be 22 tomorrow, so... I'd say for the most part we'll get back to seasonal norms. It's supposed to be um, high 20s to low 30s next uh, weekend, so... Yes, things will be approaching... Uh, normal weather-wise in the capital. It's a very short time period. So, um, let's acknowledge the fact that the world is on fire. Um, I'm not going to comment on it. This is the jazz show. This is the program that is supposed to take you completely away from it and put you in a relaxed, calm state of mind. So I have five selections, five pieces by five individual artists, and hopefully you will enjoy this show. I'm going to start off today's show with an artist, uh, well, it's a collective, actually. Um, it's they're, they're known as the Black Art Jazz Collective. This is from the album Ascension. Um, this particular track is titled Iron Man. Now... I don't have a whole lot of information on these uh, fine uh, musicians. They were formed largely by uh, Wayne Escoffrey. He's a tenor saxophonist, along with Jeremy Pelt, who's the trumpet player, James Burton III, who is the trombone player, Xavier Davis, pianist, Vincente Archer, stand-up bass, and Jonathan Blake on the drums. The entire um, idea behind this is to harken back to a similar creative time in jazz's past, much like with Miles and John and Oscar Peterson when they got together with uh, a multitude of artists to perform and write some brilliant music. The only individual from the band I can really find any information on is um, Wayne Escoffrey. Quite a well-known uh, saxophonist, and he's been around for, my goodness, I think since the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, Black Art Jazz Collective is, is really something... Uh, it, I'm, I'm going to start paying a, a great deal more attention to these guys because I really like what they're doing. He, uh, Mr. Scoffrey, is a, um, he teaches jazz improvisation at the uh, Yale School of Music. Uh, part of Yale University's Jazz Initiative. He's made the uh, jazz world sit up and pay attention, and I, I really think we should. So, without further ado on this lovely but chilly, sunny Sunday morning in the nation's capital, this is Iron Man from the Black Art Jazz Collective. Thank you. 
that's a way to start a jazz show, don't you think? The Black Art Jazz Collective from their upcoming album, Ascension. That's Iron Man. I'd love to be able to give you more information about the band. Unfortunately, there's... Well, the internet seems to be bereft of info on that particular group of individuals. However, I'm sure that in time we'll be able to find out more about them as they release more and more music. Of course, each individual has their own recording career, but again, very difficult for me to find info on them. Just uh, Mr. Scoffrey's the only one thus far. But that's okay. Sometimes the song is the story, right? So let's go back to um, 1959, when this album was recorded. Um, This track was recorded for this album. It was released in 1960, when I think between 59 and 60, that was when some of the most, well, changes and advances and growth in jazz took place. Uh, Some of the greatest landmark albums were recorded in that time frame. We can discuss all of those at some other date, but just to give you a quick uh, appraisal, riser, what's the word I'm looking for? Alas, it has escaped my thoughts. But a quick rundown, time out, the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Giant Steps, John Coltrane. Kind of Blue, Miles Davis. Mingus Aum, Charles Mingus, all monumental albums. I've got some Mingus for you later today we'll be listening to, but for the time being, I want to concentrate on this particular song from John Coltrane from the album Giant Steps. This is Naima. It's a ballad composed um, about his wife, Juanita Naima Grubbs. Now, this recording has been, well, there's three, ver- there's two alternate versions of this particular song from John Coltrane. I've chosen to go with the album cut from Giant Steps. The other ones are, are available, and it's all on the Spotify, of course. There's approximately about 45, possibly 50 different artists that have recorded this song. He recorded it many times, um, 61, 66... Um, there's releases in 1977, 97, and 2019. He didn't record those because he was long since dead. But there are multiple recordings of it by John Coltrane. So, without any further ado, have a listen to this masterpiece of modality. John Coltrane, Naima, from the album Giant Steps.
John Coltrane from the 1959 recording Naima from his album Giant Steps. That particular track is, in every sense of the world, a, a word, a jazz standard, without question, without peer. So when he recorded that album, that was his fifth solo album, fifth studio solo album, I should say, because he'd recorded multiple albums with um, Miles Davis, and of course he was on the uh, Kind of Blue album from Miles Davis as well, which is a jazz masterpiece. So during the, um, prior to the recording, I should say, of this album, uh, Miles Davis, business manager, Harold, Harold Lovett, negotiated a new contract for John Coltrane with Atlantic Records at the time, which provided a $7,000 annual guarantee. That, of course, did not include, include any royalties from the record or performance fees. You have to understand that um, $7,000 in 1959 was approximately $63,000 in 2020, which... Although not a uh, king's ransom by any stretch of the imagination, certainly would provide for an artist on a daily living basis. It would not be an unhealthy living, so that one would be free to create and write and perform at will. Just simply knowing that the rent would be paid and the food would be purchased was enough to aid an artist in becoming extra creative. So kudos to Mr. Lovett, as Mr. Coltrane went on to record a number of albums subsequently that are all considered masterpieces. Naima is a jazz standard that is taught to virtually anyone learning the saxophone. They've um, often referred to the chord progression from the recording as the Giant Steps chord progression. That's how monumentally influential this album was on every jazz artist around the world. And that is no change today. Now that record, and I do say record because I do have it on 180 gram vinyl and it sounds magnificent. That record is certified gold in the United States, which would indicate that he sold 500,000 copies of it. So good for Mr. Coltrane. Of course, he's long since passed, but his wife and children would benefit from those sales figures. Let's move on to a uh, another piece of music that um, was originally recorded in 1964. And um, this particular song, or this particular recording by uh, the brilliant Herbie Hancock, has been sampled a number of times, and you may recall this if you pay careful attention to it, and you recall 1993. There was a jazz rap group titled Us Three that heavily sampled this album, this, sorry, this track, and as a result, opened up a whole new world of fans to Mr. Hancock's work. Now, I was familiar with Herbie Hancock's work long before that, of course, but you have to understand that I was exposed to it for the um, breakdance track Rocket in the early 80s. I didn't know who Herbie Hancock was at the time when I heard the song, and it was the track we used to breakdance to. Yes, I used to breakdance. 
that was in 1982 and 83. It's a long time ago. Mr. Smallwood, Mr. Dean Smallwood, was a, a champion breakdancer and a fellow I went to school with and played hockey with. I grew up with Brian, Dean, and Ronnie. And uh, Dean became a brilliant breakdancer to the point that uh, when they were breaking in a, uh, doing a demo in a live concert venue, I believe at the time it might have been the Penguin, but I could be incorrect. A Canadian actor who went on to, well, he was actually quite famous at the time, and, and, and his fame remained throughout his life, saw them perform and asked them to take part in a film. Now, it didn't work out, unfortunately, but the film you may go on to learn about was one that Mr. Amici appeared in and did his own breakdancing. I'm, of course, speaking about the um, Ron Howard production, Cocoon. Interesting story, huh? Another three degrees of Ottawa. <laughs> I can connect myself to Ron Howard through my friend Dean, through Don Amici. Three degrees. That's Ottawa for you. So, without any further ado, the brilliant modal jazz composition from Mr. Herbie Hancock, originally recorded in 1964 from the album Empyrean Isles. This is Cantaloupe Island. Thank you. 
Hope Island from 1964 from the album Imperian Isles. Herbie Hancock, Freddie Hubbard, Ron Carter, and Anthony Williams. Of course, that song prominently features the brilliant cornet playing of Mr. Freddie Hubbard. Sadly, Freddie passed away in 2008 at the young age of 70. But his uh, influence is still felt today. Um, oh, what's a cornet? Well, it's effectively, for want of a better description, it's a slightly more compact trumpet with a mellower sound than your standard trumpet. So, there's a little bit of info for you. Now, that song is um, the, the single, yeah, which Cantaloupe Island was released as a single after the Us 3 single, the rap, jazz rap pioneers that they are. That particular song, the original, what you just heard, went on to sell 500,000 copies, which is pretty monumental for jazz. I know a lot of jazz lovers, but I don't know anyone who spends a lot of money on jazz records. Actually, that's not true. My friend Brent does. He has a magnificent jazz record collection, and he's introduced me to a lot of jazz. Herbie Hancock, of course, a monumentally influential pianist who is, of course, still very much with us and still recording, producing, acting. Brilliant, brilliant player. He is 80 years old these days, so, you know, way to go, Herbie. He got his start in Chicago. Of course, like most jazz pianists, he was classically trained. Uh, Very much, every word, um, a child prodigy, an absolute prodigy. He performed with the CSO, the Chicago, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, when he was merely 11 years of age. Mozart Piano Concerto Number 26 in D Major. I think that's incredible, quite frankly. So, of course, uh, Herbie Hancock's influence as well. Bill Evans, Ravel, Gil Evans, some of his strongest influences. He was, of course, part of the Miles Davis Quintet for a number of years. And he's recorded with Donald Byrd, Coleman Hawkins. I don't think there's a jazz player today that hasn't recorded at some point in time or performed with Herbie Hancock. And if you haven't yet, you most likely would very much like to. I would be surprised if you didn't want to get on stage with Mr. Hancock, as he is a master pianist without peer. Well, since the passing of Oscar Peterson, anyway. I'd say, without question, the, his last studio album, by the way, uh, was released in 2010, titled The Imagine Project. His first album as a solo artist, 1962, taking off. And of course, Imperian Isles in 1964, which was his fourth studio album. And uh, I don't have sales figures, but all reviews for the record, five stars. Brilliant, brilliant recording, monumental. And it's the album that officially established him as a major artist in his own right. You have to understand, he been in the shadow of Miles Davis as a member of the quintet, which, you know, Miles Davis casts a very, very large shadow. So, let's go um, from 64 to 61, and from the piano 
to the Hammond B3 organ. I want to play a song now from a um, jazz organist, of course, jazz organist. This is a jazz show, of course. Uh, Jimmy Smith, um, from the album Midnight Special, this is the song, Midnight Special. Enjoy. Thank you. 
But uh, to the best of my knowledge, he's still playing when he has the opportunity, of course. I mean, he's had some health health struggles in the last couple of years, but uh, thankfully he's still with us and his influence is still felt today. I mean, let's be honest, if you want to play jazz or blues on guitar, you need to study Kenny Burrell. His catalog is huge, and you should listen to all of it if you ever want to be an influential or or just a good to moderate jazz guitarist. His influence is still felt today, and, and that won't change ever. Of course, the... Uh, sax player on that particular song is uh, Stanley Turntine. He passed away in 2000 at the very young age of only 66. Originally from Pittsburgh, he uh, had a very long career. His first recording, I think, uh, as a a leader, as a band leader, started in 1960 with Blue Note Records. And his uh, final recording, I believe, was released in 19... Uh, or sorry, 1999. My apologies, 1999. And of course, that is you know when he passed away. Well, he passed away in 2000. My apologies. I get dates mixed up sometimes. I don't like to do that. Alas, I'm going to make mistakes. <laughs> so please have a check out of that record. Oh, uh, I forgot to mention, um, Mr. Um. Smith studied at the Royal Hamilton College of Music in Hamilton, Ontario. Yes, a Canadian connection. He was there for a year, uh, I think it was 1949 when he studied there. Now, unfortunately, the Hamilton School, Hamilton College of Music, uh, which I think was, um, was founded as the Hamilton Conservatory of Music in 1897, it closed down in 1980, but don't fret. The building was purchased by uh, Vitek. I'm going to pronounce his name, and I'm probably going to get it wrong. Winsa. And it reopened as the Hamilton Conservatory for the Arts, with a vision of a place where music, dance, and the visual arts could exist, intermingle, and flourish together. It's still flourishing. And it has been for the last 23 years, so although it was closed for a number of years due to financial restraints, it has reopened and is very much alive today. So, this brings us to the last song of the day. From the album released in 1959, Charles Mingus. This uh, record I have as well, and I, I love the artwork on the album. Double bassist Charles Mingus, not often common for a bass player to release a solo album, but he released a number of them because he was such an influential band leader. And this particular record is, um, well, it's, it's in the Grammy Hall of Fame and considered a masterwork. With every ranking of it, five stars, ten, ten, A+. Plus. It's a brilliant recording. And again, like I said, I have it on vinyl, and the artwork for the album cover is a masterpiece of of abstract, expressionist artwork. I love this record, through and through. Mr. Mingus uh, passed away at the age of 56 in 1979, but 
his influence on the jazz world will felt, be felt and reverberate for centuries. So without further ado, from the 1959 landmark recording Mingus Aum, this is Charles Mingus with the recording Better Get It In Your Soul.
Charles Mingus from the landmark album Better Get It In Your Soul. Well, from the album Mingus, I um, my apologies. The track, Better, Better Get It In Your Soul. Of course, that uh, was largely influenced by the preaching that he heard uh, as a child growing up in Watts area of Los Angeles. Sadly, uh, Charles died at a very young age, like I said. He was only 50, was he 56 at the time? Which is uh, startlingly young for for a, uh, an individual. But I, I understood that he, uh, he was long-suffering uh, from ALS. So as, as that began to take over his life, he, he simply couldn't perform anymore. ALS, uh, amyotrophic, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, it was once commonly referred to as Lou Gehrig's disease. Of course, we all collectively raised millions of dollars to help in the uh, research of ALS with the Ice Bucket Challenge a few years ago. So yay, good on everybody who helped out with that. Yes, Mr. Charles Mingus, I mentioned the artwork on the album. Uh, the album cover itself was by um, S. Neal. His name is uh, Sadamitsu Fujita, uh, Hawaiian, born to Japanese immigrant parents, of course, because that's not exactly a Hawaiian name. I couldn't tell you exactly what a Hawaiian name would be either, mind you. However, um, influential uh, artist, uh, graphic designer, and known for his book cover and record album designs throughout his career. So, yes, I urge you to, to um, have a listen to the full album, Mingus. Uh, um, it's a great record from start to finish. And uh, has a large amount of musicians that play upon it. So, uh, friends, I, I hope you've enjoyed today's Supplemental Jazz Edition, Part 4. I'll, of course, return next Sunday with five more jazz tracks, some songs and stories to kick off your Sunday morning or evening, whichever the case may be. Wherever you are in the world, I hope that you're doing well. I hope that you're happy, and I hope you're going to enjoy this beautiful day that we have in front of us. For those of us who can. Until we meet again, my friends. Skulu wah wah wah